Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, this morning, we're, I'm going to um, speak on the continuing the I Dare You series, and I kind of feel like my message is, is um, closing the door after the horse is bolted, because uh, this morning's worship is so extraordinary, uh, and my title is I Dare You to Worship. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and everyone just did. So, so why don't we just have some coffee right now? <laughs> And, uh, you know, when I was 10 years old, um, I was asked to sing a solo um, called, I know, I was, I was asked to sing a solo called Dare to Be a Daniel. And uh, some of you may remember the hymn, and it's going through your heads right now. And um, it's still going through mine, and it brings tears to my eyes. And a shiver down my spine. And so when I was 10, I was asked to do this solo in front of the... It was a Sunday school kind of performance thing that we, we had. And I had to sing it in front of the church. And uh, I remember um, just standing up and singing and, and singing this song. And I could feel the reaction of the, of the congregation. You've got to bear in mind, it's unusual to feel a reaction in a strict Baptist chapel where most of the people are actually physically dead and they just bring them in rigor mortis and, and then ship them out again. And, and uh, so, it, it's, it, you know, in that environment, it's quite difficult. But I felt a reaction and it was like, oh, wow, I'm 10 years old. You know, I've never done anything. I've never sung in public before. And I've been asked, and, and I, be, I realized it suddenly become very popular. And I was asked to sing this hymn several times more in house events. What I discovered was, in a closer environment, I discovered why they were asking me to sing. And it was because I was awful. And I was so awful that they loved it so much. And, and they were literally rocking to and fro with their handkerchiefs in, over their mouths with the absolute horror of my voice that disappeared into the most unusual notes. And, uh, and it was at that moment, I remember standing in my Sunday school teacher's lounge and they had the, the gathering around of the, of the church in the lounge and there I am singing away and it was at that moment I realised why they wanted me to sing. This kind of, this realisation, while I'm going to be a dad. <laughs> it kind of, it just got me at that moment. They're laughing at me, and I'm singing. My singing is dreadful, and uh, needless to say, I never sang that song again. And I know uh, it was, uh, <laughs> but what it did do is it ignited actually something. Even though that the laughter of my singing didn't destroy in my heart something I discovered called worship. That even though I probably couldn't sing in key. I didn't understand there was a key. I just, I just let, and I've always had a loud voice, which is, I don't know why, whether that's where they picked me or not. My voice was always louder than everyone else's. So, so therefore I just kind of figured, well, if you're going wrong, go louder. And, 
And that's what I've always done. I still do it to this day. Just go a little bit louder. Everyone else has to follow the loudest person. And, and that becomes the new normal. So it's like, that's the okay sound. But what I discovered in all of that was the fact that worship was something that ignited in my heart. And um, Cheryl and I just came back. Um, we went down to conference down to Brighton, and we went to see um, a, a family friend called um, Auntie Evelyn. And Auntie Evelyn isn't a physical auntie. She's no relation of ours. But as we both grew up, she was an auntie to both of us. She was probably auntie to almost every child in our hometown. And uh, certainly every child that went to Sunday school in any church. And uh, so Cheryl went to the Brethren, I went to the Baptist, but we were, uh, we were both very well known to the family and to her. And, to her. and uh, she, was a, she was a spinster, lived with her brother, but she would, um, she, I would go and stay in her house. Cheryl stayed in her house. And, and she, would just, she was just one of these lovely ladies that just made you feel so warm and special. And, and uh, even to this day, she still sends birthday cards and five pounds for the children. And, and we went down to see her, to give her a visit. She's in her 80s now. Uh, and uh, we went down to go and see because we hadn't seen her for a while and she wants to see Boaz because she thinks he's gorgeous. And, and uh, we went down and took Heidi and Chaz. She's not met Chaz yet. And uh, so we went down to see, uh, see them and uh, she come in. She was just, I mean, she's full of cheek and she just as bright, as sharp as mutton. She's just full of cheek and she turns and she goes, you were such a naughty boy, she goes, looking at me in front of the whole family. Suddenly, I'm 10, 11 years of age again, you know. And uh, she looks at me. And it's like when I'm sitting, I was sitting in there with my cup of tea, feeling the same age as, as my kids and, and just kind of back down. I was back there. You were such a naughty boy. And then she screws up her face and begins to chuckle like it was the funniest thing that ever happened. And, and uh, I really was a naughty boy. You've heard many of the stories. I was outrageous with my friend Wayne and we got up to all sorts of things. But there was this anchor. There was this anchor that attached to my heart when I discovered that when I sang, I could worship. And it's the, one of the anchors that attached to me, that kept me from going off to somewhere to crazy land in the wildness of my rebellion. Yeah. I picked up a police record when I was 11 years of age. I was a naughty boy. But worshipped, worship pulled me back. Worship kept me attached to the presence of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, it says this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become our high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, worship reconnects us to our hope. Now, I want you to understand something about worship, because what worship does is it doesn't debate. It doesn't reason. It doesn't try and coerce you. Worship launches you into a declaration of, of faith into words you may not choose to say even in your prayer life. When you worship, 
You're declaring biblical truth. You're declaring powerful, poetic words of great power that literally, they don't reason with you. They demand you to sing them. And you sing them anyway, even if you don't feel like them. And that's the power of worship. You see, see, prayer, prayer is critically important, but it can be weakened by the thoughts of your mind. You can choose the words that you want to say and you can reason with your heart and you can debate with God. But worship doesn't allow you to do that because the words have already been written. And every song that we sing formed in scripture is finding another way of declaring the truth. And so it places a demand on you to sing it anyway. And so when you begin to sing, it literally changes everything that's going on around your life. Worship draws you in to a place that you never knew you could be taken to. You see, what worship does is it it begins to Draw your heart into a place where you are built into the presence of God. Now, when I was down in Brighton at conference, um, Sharon and I were doing a a family um, seminar. And um, one guy asked this question. Actually, he didn't ask the question. He wasn't even asking. He was just telling me his opinion. There's nothing worse than someone who puts up their hand at question time to tell you their opinion. And uh, because it's like, it's not a question. Just. Be quiet. <laughs> Don't tell everyone else what you think. You weren't invited to speak. <laughs> and so here's this man, and he's giving these, telling me, what young people need today is they need to learn apologetics because apologetics will stop them from being drawn away from, from uh, their faith in Christ and, and drawn into the world. And people are thinking, I mean, I'd never heard anyone kind of say this before. And they're thinking, no, that is a nonsense. Because apologetics is simply using your knowledge of scripture to try to persuade other people that they might be able to follow Christ. What a person needs to be grounded in is apologetics. It's the worship which enables a free and true relationship with God. Because all the time you intellectualize your life, what happens is you, you leave it open to reason. Have you noticed that in a loving relationship, reason doesn't come into it? In a loving relationship, there is no reason. In a loving relationship, Cheryl could say, listen, sweetheart, can you, can you just go and make me a cup of tea right now? Now, it could be that I've just made her a cup of tea and I brought her a biscuit. But love says I'll make you another one, not Not it's your turn. Reason would say it's your turn. (laughs) Doesn't it? Reason says, I did this, you do that. But in a relationship, it doesn't work like that. In a relationship, you just keep giving and giving because that's what you do in a relationship. Eventually, it comes back, but you don't know when. It's kind of like it's just the ebb and flow of working together. In a relationship, there is no reason. And you don't need a reason. You don't have to reason together and debate. And this is mine and this is yours. You, you move together like water flowing a, a, along the shore. You're just flowing together. That's what it's like. And that's what people need to be grounded in. Because worship builds you into a relationship with God. And it no longer debates. 
it no longer reasons. It gets you into a place where you are connected to the Holy Spirit and your heart with the Holy Spirit enables you to worship him. It's all right. We'll be okay in a couple of minutes. No problem. You can't reason with a (laughs) two-year-old. That's the beauty of (laughs) two-year-olds. They're two coming on 14. That's the problem. It's only when they get to about four, they do realise they're not coming on 14. (laughs) You've got like two years of it. And hats off to every parent who's got one. (laughs) What I want to say to you is this. That when you worship, you build a relationship with God that is no longer up for debate or up for reason or up for explanation or up for God. Can you please explain to me what's going on here? Because, because I'm not okay with this. When you get into that kind of debate, you're not in a relationship anymore. You're in some kind of contract where I do this and you do that and we kind of work it out. This is not a business deal. It's not a business contract. We are, we're not contracting together. We are worshipping in a relationship with God. And what that does is it draws us in. We're drawing it. And the Bible literally says here in Colossians, it draws us in to the presence of God behind the veil. It says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, It says this, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, let's be honest, right? Is it okay to be honest? I'm going to be honest anyway, you know me. How many of you ever read that and go, just a little sigh on the end when you read it. Set your things on Things above, non things of the earth. Don't set your things on earthly. Set your things on heavenly things, because I'm so noble and I, I just, his brother, I just think of heavenly things all the time. Everybody reads that and goes, <coughs> "But I'd like to." It's a noble thought, right? Isn't it? It's a noble thought to think of heavenly things. I think of heavenly things. Yeah, sometimes. Most of the time I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat. <laughs> what, what I'm going to wear. How I'm going to pay that bill. How do I get home? How do I get through this traffic? <laughs> how, just, it's just life. Yeah. It's essential things. And every time you read it, you think to yourself, I wish I was like that. Here's the thing about worship. Worship does the thinking for you. It sets you into a place where your thinking is now placed in a place of declaration and suddenly you are transported into a place where your heart is drawn in to the presence of God. You see, we struggle in our heart. We get ourselves into in such, oh, how do I, how do I set my mind? We're trying, I'm trying to set my mind on heaven. Your mind thinks of natural things because it's a natural mind. Yeah. But worship is a godly experience 
where we declare his name and we transport our natural mind and we yield it over to heavenly confession. And when we yield it over to heavenly confession, we are drawn in to the presence of God. Now, I want you to see something about this mysterious process, right? The presence of God, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, is beyond the veil, right? Now, everyone goes, oh, okay, presence of God, beyond the veil. No idea what that means, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> it's beyond the veil. Apparently, there's a veil. <laughs> it's beyond... The presence of God is beyond, I felt his presence, beyond the veil. The veil, as we know, in the Old Testament, was the dividing place between the holy place to the most holy place. The most holy place was the mercy seat. It was the place of God's grace and power for the people. And once a year, one man could enter into and intercede for the nation of Israel. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil was rent in two or torn into. Rent sounds so much more powerful, doesn't it, than torn? It was rent in two. And as it was torn in two, so the most holy place came open to us as access. Here's the thing. There isn't a temple for you to walk into. This isn't a temple. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a physical mercy seat. When you worship God and you feel his presence, you sense the presence of God, where are you? Beyond the veil. You are at the place of the mercy seat. When you worship and you go, I felt God. Well, where are you? You're in the place where miracles happen. You're in the place where grace is poured out. You're in the place where the word of God is made clear because that's where his presence is. The Bible says that we have free access into the holy place. Go with me, will you, to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. You see, this is how we access the presence of God. This is how we find that grace. So often we're trying so hard to reason with our mind. But worship is unreasonable. Because it places a demand on you to say and confess things that you're not really feeling at the moment. But when you do, everything begins to change in your heart and mind. How many of you come in feeling the weight and pressures of life? You start to worship And slowly but surely, you find yourself being transformed and your heart being lifted. And then you begin to think to yourself, I don't even know why I was feeling so down. I can't can't believe it. All I needed to do was sing. And as as you begin to sing, you begin to change the atmosphere around your life. Why? Because you entered behind the veil. You entered in to the throne of grace. You came to the place where God's miracle provision 
is laid open for you. And that's the power of worship. And you can do that at any time. But the Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, it says, therefore come boldly. You see, worship takes you boldly into the throne of grace. Worship takes you boldly into the throne of grace. This is what we were singing this morning. Jesus, the great commander, you conquered death forever. In victory victory you reign. We triumph in your name. There's no debate with that, is there? There's no, oh God, I, I, I just really believe, I really believe I triumph. There's a little there's a little kind of doubt in that really believe, isn't there? There's kind of a, uh, I'm trying to convince myself. But worship comes in and goes, we triumph in your name. And every person in this room was lifted to a point where you boldly came into the presence of God. You came with strength and you came with boldness. And boldness changes your everything. Changes your everything. What what does that mean? Well, when you come to Christ with boldness, everything around your life has a different perspective. It has a different viewpoint. It has a different trajectory. That's a difficult word to say, isn't it? Particularly if you've got false teeth. (laughs) Or you have too much saliva. (laughs) Trajectory. I'm not even going to try and say it again. I said it once and got away with it. I'm not going there. <laughs> it changes the direction for which your life is going. So what happens is that when you come with a prayer, but you don't come with worship, your prayer can carry your doubt. All right? So how do you change your prayer life? By overlaying it constantly with worship. Because worship doesn't debate. Worship doesn't reason. Worship declares boldly and carries you with it without you ever being able to work out what's going on. You enter into the presence of God on a super vast conveyor belt and you could have spent the last week going, oh God, God, oh God. And then you start to see, you reign forever, you triumph, we triumph in your name and suddenly, bam, you're right there. Why? What was the difference? Worship was the difference. It was the worship that lifted you into that place. And we've got to have the boldness to be able to worship and worship fully in his name. Let me read to you. I'm going to finish with this. In Psalm 31, what I love about the Bible is is how the Bible is, it it just exposes people for who we really are. Remember, I, I read a bit of Jeremiah. He got a, Jeremiah knows how to complain a bit. This is David. David knows how to complain too. Psalm 31. This is David's depressed. When they did uh, the, they've just done uh, mental health training first aid for the college. They can give a, they can now review David on his mental state here and suggest some first aid 
Psalm 31 verse 10 says this, For my life is spent with grief. Oh yeah, he can feel the music now, the angels are singing. (laughs) My years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I wonder what that even means. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbours, and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am, a for- I am forgotten like a dead man. Out of mind, I am like a broken vessel. I reckon he's probably hit rock bottom right there. Point is, we all know at some point what this feels like. We might not say, I am repulsive. Some people do. Some people feel repulsive. It may be you feel like that in this place right now. That was David's declaration of himself as himself. He's just being honest. Just going, who I am. We cut down to verse 20. This is what he goes on to say. You shall hide me in the secret place of your presence. Remember the presence is behind the veil. From the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. He's realized that he, he said it, but it wasn't really true. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. You see, worship takes the broken and lifts you into a place of boldness and utterly changes the direction for which your life was going. How do I get healed? I worship God. How do I come back into the presence of God? How do I, how do I find that grace? I just come back to worship. Sometimes you've got to worship with tears running down your face. Sometimes you can do it with a smile that you just can't hold it back. It doesn't matter the state of your heart. It matters that you have the courage to worship with great boldness and to sing the songs and the words that you don't feel like singing, but they will take the truth and overlay the brokenness of your heart and reset and redesign who you were on the inside. Worship rebuilds you. Worship heals you. Worship unites you with the King. You see, when we worship Him, we are united together with Him. I know this sounds gooey. I do this from time to time. I know, sorry, Cheryl. It's embarrassing, right? But you see, you can, in a marriage, right? Everybody knows this is marriage. If you're not married... 
be warned. In a marriage, there's always point of pressure. There's always point of divide. But it's impossible in a marriage to just look at each other and just say how much I love you. It's impossible to not be united. You just, everything's healed in those moments. Whatever the divide, when you come together and you speak of the sweetness you have for each other and you ask for forgiveness for the things you've done wrong. I'm sorry I didn't notice you had your hair done. <laughs> I, I thought it was permed. And it was a... So, <laughs> it's like... It, those, those kind of moments, you know, you're one again. Yeah. And when you're one again, everything else is... Your future together is now whole. When you worship God, you come back to a place that as you worship him, your heart is healed. You find yourself repenting because your mind is working faster than your mouth is, right? And because your mind works faster than your mouth, you're able to have two conversations at the same time. And the one conversation is the worship, which is lifting you. And the second one is your repentance, which is anchoring you. And so you find yourself being lifted and anchored at the same time, which is essential. Because if someone only worships, but they don't, they're not anchored, they get carried away. Just, their emotions get carried away with the moment, but they're not anchored in Christ. And so what happens is that as we worship him, we're also anchored in him. And we're secured into that place of presence. And in that place of presence, we are made whole. You know what? The Holy Spirit wants us to know what it is to walk in wholeness. Out of brokenness, into wholeness. Out of disappointment, into a future full of hope. This is the hope. Let me read Hebrews 6, 19 through to you again, because it's just one of the most beautiful scriptures. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become our high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.